Welcome back to the 12-Sided Guys. We have Matt as Pine. Hi. Scott as Joff. That's me. Jordan as Ebby. Salutations. Sabrina as Nari. Hey there. And me, Paul, as the guy just trying to keep everything straight. Sheesh! You darn millennials. Well, after that, thanks for sticking around. Uh, a couple of announcements. Don't forget we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash 12sidedguys. That's the place to keep up to date with all the goings on and to check out some bonus content. Also, leave a review and a rating on your podcasting app to help others find us out there in that huge, amorphous, massive podcast. And finally, Listening back to a previous episode, I now fully realized just how close to death Nari came when they were fighting those specters and that wraith. If her natural 20 saving throw had not been rewarded with an immunity to the life drain ability for the rest of the day, she would have become a specter in one round. Ghost Nari. That was a close one, guys. Anyway, speaking of ghosts, if you ever actually managed to get gold armor after surviving long enough in steel and bronze in your attempt to rescue Princess Prinprin, then first off, my hat's off to you. And of course, this is the podcast for you. It's the Crystal Codex, episode 30. <laughs> the early rays of the sun peek into Nari's room in the crossed candles in as she sits over a writing desk. My dearest Ember, it is my hope that this letter finds you well. It pains me to write these words, but we've been betrayed by the most trusted among us. Aaliyah Brava, that snaky bitch. She's been in bed with the Empire the entire time. And worse than that, when I came to the city, she charmed me into divulging your location. It's not all bad news. Nilla escaped. She fights in secret with a handful of loyal supporters. They call themselves the Wilted Rose. In fact, I owe the restoration of my memory to one of their members, Sir Bordemus. He suggested that I visit the Temple of Iridos and cleanse my mind. It was there that a priest healed my memory. I'm so sorry, Ember, but I told Aaliyah Brava that you were in Tabory. Don't trust anyone who comes bearing the name Rose Syndicate. In fact, leaving Tabory altogether may be best. In other news, the boys and I have made progress in deciphering secrets related to the Empire. It seems these deacons, they've been around much longer than anyone may have guessed. It seems their true name might not even be Deacon, but Ormek. It may be a small piece of the puzzle, but I fear it will be an important clue to deciphering the hold the Empire has over these, these creatures. The Merch of Gadavir is in three days. We hope to use a revelry as a cover in our plan to question Aaliyah Brava, who is staying in Eberly Manor. Wish us luck, my friend. Your friend, Nari. But uh, point of order, didn't he change his name to Sir Baklava or something like that? <laughs> it Fortimus, became Bordemer at one time. Fortimus, Bordemer. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty funny, all the oh, stuff we called old, him. Good old Brancevar. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, very good. Okay, cool. Well, welcome back to the Cross Candles Inn in the city of Arkelvy. Uh, we'll say that as you guys finish up your uh, your actually early morning rest, it's right about noon as everyone comes to. As you recall, the last thing that had happened for Ebby was uh, he had managed to glean a little bit more information from uh, the book, the Crystal Codex, including the name Ormec, um, or Organic Mechanical, um, as a name for the deacons. And the other thing that he had uh, discovered was um, something about a crystalline matrix that would hold consciousness. Now, between sessions, you had some conversations about kind of your plan of what to do with Aliyah Brava, and you remembered um, that there was a festival coming up, and I think that you guys had decided to maybe use it as a distraction for this uh, caper. How much time do we have before the uh, the festivities? So the Gadiver's March, which is the holiday coming up on the 31st of Ormanbar, um, not the 31st of October. It's a totally different thing. Um, not inspired at all by October. <laughs> not at all. Uh, middle of the autumn. Yeah, anyway. Um, today would be the 29th. So you guys are at like noon on the 29th, which means you have the rest of today. You have all day on the 30th. And then the 31st festivities don't start till usually the evening after dark uh, when, you know, spooky things come out to play. But there'll be a trunk or treat earlier in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so just you see, just so you guys know, the March of Gadiver or Gadiver's March, um, Gadiver is the god of uh, undeath, kind of the idea of restless, restless uh, bodies, restless spirits coming back to um, haunt the living, um, kind of the idea of holding on to life after it should be gone. Holding on to life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Broken Bells. People who worship Gadiver, they don't necessarily worship him because they like the idea of him raising things from the dead. They worship him to try to appease him so that he won't raise things from the dead. Does that make sense? They worship him out of fear as opposed to and at fear and trying to uh, placate him as opposed to um, trying to further his ends. Um, so I don't once... see any problem with going into the crypts on that night. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's something that I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about too, as well for, for Gadiver's March. Um, oftentimes people will in the city of Arkelvy. Now, Nari, you would know this and other people have probably heard it. Um, in other cities, people will go to like the cemeteries, um, or they'll go to graveyards. Um, in the city of Arkelvy, oftentimes people will go into their basements and have a little, you know, a little party or a little, maybe party's not the right word down there, but some people will have their, their festival or their festivities down in their basement. Um, some really adventurous people will try to clear out an area down in the catacombs and, and risk it. Um, most people try to stay above street level, but, um, Gadiver's March, most people will, um, you know, adorn themselves in bones or, um, you know, uh, kind of ragged clothing. Um, rich people tend to wear like, um, like masquerade masks in the shape of skulls or sometimes skulls from different creatures. Uh, but there's a lot of, a lot of costuming that goes along with, um, with this. And there usually is some kind of a parade or some kind of a, um, yeah, there's some kind of a parade that goes through the city, um, in most major cities during Gadiver's March. And this is, again, it started out as an attempt to appease Gadiver, but it's turned into a party. 
All right, so what do you guys want to do then? What's kind of your, what's your plan? Pinewood, um, like the last little few minutes of his sleep, would be like, snakey bitch. <laughs> Stab him in the face. And then he'd startle awake. Um, <laughs> put on his nicer clothes and then head down to get some food. Yeah, I think that we should probably all join Pine and kind of chat about where we want to go from here. Sounds like a plan to me. I think that Ebby had some good ideas in the chat earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is true. So, yeah, once we're all kind of down there, hopefully we find a table over in a corner somewhere so it's not too bad. But um, definitely I think we should kind of talk a little bit about how we want to approach this. So, guys... I've got an idea. I was thinking about this throughout the evening, and I I think there might be an option for us, or, or potentially a plan, that we could use to try to get to Aaliyah. So, we know that the parade of Gadavar is going to be occurring, um, and likely there will be some sort of a ball, or some sort of a party that is going to be happening at the manor, if I understand that correctly. If this is the case, perhaps there's a way that we could get into the manor as well and then use the crowds of people to create a, um, a commotion and to distract the uh, guards or her entourage from us absconding away with her. Uh, here's, here's my thought for how this could potentially play out uh, and I feel that if there's anything that doesn't make sense or seems a little bit risky, definitely you know, pipe in I don't exactly have a lot of experience with all of this, but I think, you know, Joff, perhaps you could pose as a dignitary or a nobleman from some distant province or township or something of that nature. So that way you have kind of a precedent or a reason to be there. And I could accompany you fully unclothed as though I were your deacon servant. Um, a show of wealth, if you will. And to that point, we could have Master Pine here. Uh, he could go as your steward or retainer to kind of assist and to help advise you. Uh, just somebody that would typically be with you at these sorts of events. Um, we three could run primary point to try to get to Aaliyah and to speak with her and perhaps get her to, you know, leave the main hall and get into someplace more secretive. Nari, Hopefully you still have some contacts here in the city, but perhaps there might be a way that you could uh, infiltrate the staff, find people that might be able to work with us or at least help to provide some sort of cover for us. But with your connections with the staff, perhaps we could find a way to uh, have an exit scenario or an exit plan. Uh, you might have to kind of clear that path for us or help make sure that we have a, a, a clear exit strategy. To that point, hopefully what we could do is lure Aaliyah into you know, a side chamber on pretense that perhaps she we have information related to uh, a certain ember of the Wilted Rose or of the Rose Syndicate, or that we have information related to a tall mountain woman who we believe was related to the Rose Syndicate, and see if that can help us to gain an audience with Aaliyah. While we're speaking with her, if we can cause a commotion, which I might be able to help with a, a bit of 
some subtle or crafty uh, spell weaving, we might be able to then uh, subdue her and then escape through the back. Do you mean um, you'd fill the room with with the uh, giant wolf spiders? You know, that's actually a great idea. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't what I was initially thinking, but now that you mention it, actually. Well, it's, it's been a good distraction so far. I will definitely be on the escape plan for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to table that. That's I like where your head's at here. Um, but anyway, you know, there's there's a few other things that I think that uh, I might be able to tap into some of the more wild intelligences that exist out in nature and maybe pull something into manifesting in our world. It's a bit archaic and and uh, a, a little bit nuanced, but I've been reading in the codex and I think that there might be a way for me to summon something that might be able to assist us with creating some diversion and some mischief. Anyway, um, if we can subdue her and then if Nari is able to create an exit either through the catacombs or out through the back of the manor, we also might be able to hire a coach to wait for us and then we can make a quick getaway. Um, with all the crowds out in the street, that may help to slow any pursuers that may come after us. I think that that plan sounds solid. I think there's some details we, we can talk about, but uh, I think that all in all that sounds like a wonderful plan. Maybe you were a tactician in a previous life. Perhaps I was. Um, I don't know what I was in a previous life. <laughs> um, well, there's also the potential. We do have our blue friend. Remind me of his name, Subortimus. Oh, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, Sir Bortimus has just been sitting there, like, like eating like soup. It's like dripping down his chin. He's like, oh, what, huh? Wait, oh, wait, yeah. soup for breakfast. What are you, man? It's noon. It's oh, noon. That's right. Okay, real quick story. I used to work at Target overnight, and one night uh, we worked so late that at nine o'clock in the morning they said, "Hey, we'll buy you all breakfast." So everyone goes in there. They're like, "I'll have waffles. I'll have pancakes." I'm like, "I will have steak and shrimp." It didn't matter. If it was nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Oh, Sir Bordemus, uh, he's, his name is, is Thilo. Yes, Thilo, Thilo is his name. Yes. Well, he does have that ability to, to um, get out in or out of places. If we could um, rendezvous with him, maybe we could bring him in on this plan as well. Might be, able to, might be a way to get Nari into the building at least. That's possible. I, I do need to uh, check back in with, with, with Nilla and with Thilo and make sure that they got away okay. I, I can't imagine that they... Um, had any trouble once they disappeared, but mm. you never know. Maybe this also is a little too mundane. I do like your idea of of uh, uh, Ebby using magic, using some arcane forces. We could also poison the hors d'oeuvres. Oh. Not anything lethal, but there's a chance that uh, it might help with some of Alia Brava's mercenaries. If they partake, it might uh, um, take some of them out of the equation. Oh, that is an interesting thought. We might be able to use something like that to our advantage then. Like nothing deadly, just give them the squirts. Just loosen their bowels a bit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like on the second season of American Vandal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking I was thinking more like the Bogwan when he when they poisoned the uh the salad bar in Salem, Oregon. Oh man. Oh no, yeah, no no death. Just just squirts. <laughs> just the squirts. So Bordemus speaks up and he says, I, your plan has a lot of merit. I just, my one concern is um, getting into the party, getting into Eberly Manor. I mean, from what I've heard, that is where, that's the premier party, the premier celebration in all of the city. 
I have heard that potentially even Governor Tenor will be there. Ooh, he sounds important. Is it invitation only? He is governor of all of Arkelvy. Well, then who would be allowed in? We have, we have two uniforms. We have a, an officer's uniform of the Empire, and then we also have an adjudicator's uniform. That might be a little too high profile. Yeah, I would worry they would recognize an adjudicator. Right. He goes, you have an adjudicator's uniform? It's a replica. Don't worry about it. We had a very and- talented seamstress back in Tabry. And that blood on it is not real. Tomato juice. Uh, you can make a deception check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. No, it's fine. It's fine. Pine got a, pine got a 21. Oh, okay. Well, he looks at you all more. Oh, with your deception? When you say it's not real? Yeah. Okay. It's like, oh, of, of course. It, wait. Uh, he says, didn't... It wasn't the adjudicator that was in Tabri. Didn't, didn't he die? Oh, did he? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been somebody else. We did mention we came from Tabri, right? Yeah, he knows that. Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't know whether he's alive or not. Sir Bordemus, we have a history, and the less you know about some details, the safer you are. He, 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 he nods and he says, I understand, but my hat's off to whoever did kill that adjudicator. I would, I would buy them a drink. <laughs> he can't drink. Shuff coughs no. and glances at Evie. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Bordemus does not know that Ebby is a, is a, a, a an Ormac, a deacon. Well, he did just. Point. Well, Ebby did just say he'll go in his true. Form as a oh, deacon. that's right. He did. I forgot this. And and okay. So we'll say that you guys have already clued in Bordemus a little bit about Ebby. So we don't have to play that whole conversation out. Does that sound good to everybody? Yeah, I think that's totally okay. fine. Okay. Wait. What? I, think, I think that like we would be okay with telling uh, Bordemus and uh, Nilla as well, probably. Okay. Since they're pretty trustworthy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Bordemus did help save you guys' life and get you out of there. So. So a couple things that uh, to note, you guys can still have your conversation, but you guys do stink. You guys did get attacked by that stinky zombie. Um, so there is that. Oh, then I did not put on my nice clothes. Joff <laughs> did take a bath last night. So Joff does not stink. Joff does not stink. Everybody else is a bit stinky, though. I've heard there's a nice bathhouse in town. Oh, I've been there. Everybody just hangs out naked. That sounds like the place for me. I think we should go and scout out Eberly Manor. I'd like to get a better view of the building before we make any concrete plans. I'd like to know right where to tell the coach to wait. I want at least two exits from the building that I can be certain of before we even enter it on the night of Gadaver's festival. Gadaver? Gadaver or Gadaver? <laughs> it's it's Gadaver. It, so take Cadaver. And yeah. change the C to a G, and then change the emphasis to the first syllable, Gadaver, instead yeah. of cadaver. Yeah. Okay. So um... now you know my naming scheme. <laughs> <laughs> what was your question again? <laughs> oh, I just said I just said that we need to scout it out. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. And um, also, I would like to go and perhaps buy a costume for the occasion. And you guys would know that pretty much everybody on that night is in costume. 
to one degree or another. Evie, I have an idea for you as well. To make you festive, we can paint skeletons across your body or paint a, an internal skeleton on the outside. Well, I mean, if you want to do that, I, I'm not going to say no. Do you want to go to your room? Do you have the paint right now? <laughs> I, I'm going to get the paint. <laughs> I don't have the paint right now. And I do, we do need to address something. You had the candle lit all night. D- did I do that? You left the candle lit after you stopped reading. And then you stared at me. It was quite disconcerting. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was staring at you. It was just staring into space, you know. It's not weird. You know, it wasn't weird or anything. How do you know he was know? looking at you? He has no pupils. I, His body was directed towards me and his face was kind of angled down and right at me in the bed. I, Well, you know, just wanted to watch... Make sure that you were sleeping well, I guess, or something. I'm beginning to wonder if it might be better if you, you, uh, we got a, another room for you. Joff's feeling a little full of himself. <laughs> Ebby is totally <laughs> crestfallen right now. Oh, I could gosh. totally imagine Ebby like closing the book, setting it down. His head swivels on its own, overlook at Roos, and then his body just stands up and then twists to face Roos <laughs> and then goes back down. <laughs> He does like the Robocop turn. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. You know, it's nothing weird. It's just that I am not familiar with sleep and I was studying you because I want to know more about sleep. You can let me fall asleep first and then you can watch me sleep. (laughs) Like, I just don't just don't want you to be looking at me while I'm drifting on the pillow. So not to not to take over for Ebby, but Ebby, all you heard was you can watch me sleep. Ebby, <laughs> <laughs> is this what you've done when we've shared rooms? What? No. Well, maybe a little, but no. With with you, Pine? <laughs> no. I would have been jealous if you had said no. Oh, you said no. Dang it. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> oh gosh. Nari, I'll show you to the baths. Yes, please. I think I need that. But first, plan. Yeah, Bordemus stands up and he says, "If you'll excuse me, I'm, I'm going to make contact with Nilla. Um, will you be staying here, or, I mean, where should I find you again? Because I guarantee you that the Wilted Rose will want to help you with your plan." Yes, I think we'll need their help um, in finding connections as well. We all have rooms at the Imperial Splendor as well. We still have some things there, so. We'll, we'll have to go collect them, but carefully, because it's probably being watched. I'm sure I could get in and get our stuff and come back out without being noticed. But do we want to stay here if if the um, Wilted Rose needs us? Should we make this our new home base? It's, it's a nice place. It's better than the Lazy Leg. Rude. <laughs> they know how to cook a fish here. <laughs> yes, they know how to cook a fish. Um, and just just a quick reminder, I, I do believe, as I described it last time, the Cross Candles Inn is like a tall building. So it's like the, mm-hmm. the whole ground floor is the common room, and then the rooms are all up above, and it's like three or four stories tall. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, that's the kind of the Cross Candles. And the Cross Candles is not like a super nice inn, but if you head just a little bit more west, you get into the very nice part of town. So I don't think we've, I don't think we've determined... Um, what disguise we could have to get ourselves into the party. We mentioned potentially a visiting noble from somewhere. 
we won't have bona fides to show, but maybe we could forge some. Or we do have officers' uniforms. We could potentially go in as as members of the of the visit like a visiting military official or something. Um, I do like the idea though of Bruce taking point and me acting as his advisor or something. And and Abby, if you are again, if you're okay with it, um, acting as his servant. Yes. No, I would be willing to to make that that choice. And and as Bordemus kind of stands up to leave, he says, and you know, should should everything should nothing work to get into the party, there is always well, there's there's got to be someone who might know a way in through the basement, through the catacombs. I know that that's a dangerous way, but you know, as a last resort, um, would you would you want me to see if maybe I can find somebody who might know a way in? Well, I imagine that, that they'd be mapped somewhere. Eberly Manor's, you know, it's it's fancy and wealthy and powerful people stay there. So the protection would probably have to be on point, and they've probably researched the catacombs beneath it as well. We might be able to find a map in the library. That's a, that's a good point. Also, support a miss before you leave. Yes. We don't have to talk about it now, but I'm very interested in the tenets of your, of your order. Ah, the Order of the Red Blossom. Yes. Yes. What would, we, make, uh, what would make a knight of the Order of the Red Blossom take the actions that you did? Well, to, of course, protect the weak and the innocent. That goes without saying. And I feel that is what I have been doing. Um, I am from Calathan. I am not from the Empire, at least not yet. But of course, there is fear every day that the Empire will stretch its hand a little further east and start to, to tickle our coastline. So anything I can do to help stop that, I do. And protecting Nilla seemed like the right thing to do for an, a Knight of the Order of the Red Blossom. Well, you do your order proud. Well, I, I thank you very much. Do you, Sir Bertimus, do you have an idea of where Nilla may be, may be hiding? I know where she should be. And I will go to her. If she's not there, we have a tertiary. But um, hopefully it hasn't come to that yet. If she's not there, then she'll have to find me. Well, I hope you find her where she's supposed to be. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And he, and he stands up and he puts his kind of his arm across his kind of his, his waistline, his right arm across his waistline, and he kind of bows over his arm. And then he stands up and, and he leaves the inn. Well... Should we head to the bathhouse and perhaps go buy some outfits for the, the occasion? Yes. And while we're at it, I think we should, again, noodle on your alias. Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I really have, I've traveled abroad a little bit, but um, the only other nation I've visited with any sort of uh, duration is Barrister. So I am familiar with their customs a little bit, so I'm, I might be able to... To pass as someone from there. Well, and you'll be dressed as a, a spooky skeleton. That's true. <laughs> or a sexy skeleton. Or I, actually even better. That's probably what Joff would do. <laughs> <laughs> it's in right. character, guys. Oh, golly. <laughs> I'm living out my fantasy. <laughs> All right, very good. So people are heading to the baths. Is that what's happening? Yeah, yes. I'll, show you, I'll yeah. show you to the baths that I went to the other day. Is everybody going there? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I, I may just go do a bit more studying or something. 
Okay. On our way there, I will inform. I will fill everyone in about the uh, the shady dealings in Crystal Tech going on behind closed doors at this place. Okay. Awesome. You guys get back to the bathhouse. You see this building that you enter like Cheers. I do believe that's what we determined. Yep. <laughs> Everybody knows your name. <laughs> There's a sign up front that says Banders Baths. Um, it is um, at this point after lunch and everything and walking through the city. It's probably about 1.30 in the afternoon. And you um, enter into this room. It's about 20 feet by 25 feet. There's a nice... Uh, uh, soft carpet. Um, as soon as you enter into this room, it is this this building. The warmth just kind of uh, almost knocks you in the face. It's like walking into um, like on a really cold day, walking into like a public pool or something where it's just like so humid in the air and the water's warm and everything. Uh, that's kind of how it feels walking into this into this space. And there is a an older gentleman with uh, dry brassy scales um, standing there. He's got like a white goatee and mustache and he's standing there in this nice, uh, comfortable looking robe, slippers on his feet. And as you three walk in, um, he says, ah, welcome to Bander's Baths. And he looks over at you and he says, ah, and welcome back. Well, thank you. And Pine's already starting to take off his clothes. <laughs> like his, his jacket is off and he's starting to unbutton his shirt. He's like, if you'll please follow me, I'll, I'll show you to the dressing rooms. Oh, right. I forgot. Would you care for a private a private bath or would you want to go in the public bath? I'm fine with the public bath. Paul, point of order, public actually. Bath, please. You never charged me last time either. Yes. No, that is a good point. So it was a gold for you. Okay. And then if you guys want a private room, he informs you it, that it's 10 gold for a private bath, but you have it for four hours. Private bath, but those are no fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'd rather mingle with everybody's juices. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yum. Yeah. Nari soup. It's like, <laughs> we were all in there. It's kind of like a mulligan stew. It's like a pickled pine. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Oh, by the way, and I also tell everybody, by the way, here I'm Mr. Douglas. Oh, you, t- you okay. said that before you go in. Before we go in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you know why I say Mr. Douglas? Because Douglas is a type of pine, as a fur. Yeah, Douglas, Douglas fur. fur. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's witty. My first thought was Kirk Douglas, and then I was like, "Oh no, no, this is uh, this is Douglas fur." <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mister 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 Douglas. I, st- I was laughing so hard. <laughs> oh man. All right, well, Bander leads you through this door to the south into the same hallway that has the changing rooms that you were in before, Pine. Um, There are three booths there and with little lockers inside. You guys can go in there. There's a towel kind of uh, hanging on the wall. Um, You guys can get changed, put a towel around yourselves uh, before you go into the bath. And Bander is actually waiting there for you guys as um, as you exit. And when you come back out of the changing rooms, I just need to know, is everybody butt naked? Anybody trying to bring anything with them? Pine has his towel over his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Again. Yeah, Nari's going in, going in stark naked. No towel? Well, yeah, I'll bring a towel, but. Okay, okay. Like nobody's bringing a knife or anything. No, Joff Joff considered it, but left it uh, in the room. I can't imagine where I would keep that. Okay. Well, you also have your chakram that you can bring yeah, into your hand yeah, anytime you want to. That's why he left his sword. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I will say, as you guys do see Pine naked for the first time, like uh, you, you never really seen him without his shirt on or whatever, he is, um, his body is covered in 
scars and it's not just like slashes and and those kinds of scars there there are burns on his body as well in all the like the wrinkles um and it looks like he has some um uh, almost like what would in our world would be like bullet wounds um that have healed and he's got that old man muscle too oh yeah (laughs) that old man lean muscle Jeff also All has right. a couple of scars, but nothing too crazy. He is wearing his towel around his waist and kind of eyeing his naked companions. <laughs> Impressive, huh? <laughs> no, I just... I got this one! <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Bander says, if you'll please follow me, and then he takes you around this other hallway, across the carpeted floors, and back around the corner into this big open area where there is steam flowing up from this large central pool. Um, You can see that there are um, like, there's some fountains spraying water into the pool. The steam is coming up off the pool. I think last time we described it, the steam is just enough to uh, bad anime style sensor uh, delicate parts. Um, But yeah, you come in and uh, (laughs) Bander informs you stay as long as you want. Just, and then he, he looks over at pine and he kind of, to, to Joff and Nari, he kind of says, um, just be careful. If he stays in too long, people of his age can sometimes have problems. So just keep your eye on him. And then uh, he remembers that last time you uh, you were here, you told him that you walked across the river. And so he's he's still not quite sure how healthy you are, Pine. Um, <laughs> but, but Bander leaves the room. All right. You guys are here in this pool. You guys are um, kind of sitting around. You guys see there's a couple other people in here chatting. Some people just lounging. You see a couple people like laying on benches kind of outside of the pool, um, you know, towels around them, but just kind of like almost recovering from the heat of the pool. Um, and um, fine, there's one person that you recognize in here. You um, recognize that man who was sitting in the corner before that thin man who introduced himself as Pender the Poet. Uh, he is sitting uh, kind of back in that same spot and he is drumming his fingers on the tile again, just like he was before. And as you step into the pool, he kind of looks over at you and he nods, Pine, in greeting. Uh, uh, Pine will kind of head over toward him. Not, and and not, get, not to get too close. Yeah. There's still some steam, you know, and then the water, of course. Um. Oh. <laughs> Pine will say, huh, Pender, did you, um, did you work on that? Uh, are you ready to recite that poem I asked you to share last time? <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, you didn't like my Nantucket poem. Uh, no, oh, I've I forgot. No, he did. He did do a poem. You just, you just didn't give me one, Paul. <laughs> no, I've got a poem. I got a poem. You ready for this poem? Oh, sure. I was just joking. Sure, okay. No, no, no. You're fine. No, Pender the Poet says, ah, uh, another poem. Well, I guess I can share a short one with you, but I am, I'm saving my best work for... Uh, a couple nights from now, when I'll be performing it at the Gadiver's March Ooh, festivities. That yes. sounds like fun. Is it a big party here? I mean, there's parties all over, yes. But I mean, I will be, hopefully, I'll be performing. Not what I prefer to do. I prefer poetry. But um, there's not much call for poetry on a night like Gadiver's March. So I will be... Um, I will be performing some songs with a with a small group of performers. So, um, but I do have a, a poem for you. Would you like to hear it, Mister Douglas? Well, I'd love to, Pender. Okay. Hey, Just, friends, come come listen. Here's a poet. And I'll motion to my friends to come over. Okay. Says, oh, will scoot scoot over that way. 
Okay. Yeah, Nari will mosey on over. Okay. He says, and the, uh, the water's only up to Nari's calves. <laughs> yeah, she's like, <laughs> every time she steps, her foot comes completely out of the water. Um, <laughs> no, he kind of, <clears throat> he kind of, uh, yeah, kind of clears his throat a little bit and he says, Old Joe McGraw chews lots of cha, then dances around in a wedding gown. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious, Paul? I am so serious. <laughs> so, okay, everybody, I apologize. That was kind of an inside joke just for I wrote that Matt. poem in eighth grade. It's <laughs> <laughs> part it of my poetry stuck. unit. It is stuck in my brain forever. So no, okay, so that, that's not really the poem that he shares. Um, he I says, thought it was 10 out of 10. <laughs> my, my English teacher did not. Yes. <laughs> yes. I got a D. <laughs> well, look where we are now. That's right. <laughs> All right, well, we'll say he does share that poem. And then he says, but I've been working on a composition that I think, I'm not sure how well it will go over, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. I'll uh, recite it for you. And he kind of, uh, he, he stands up in the pool and he says, it drops from skies as dark as night with melancholy grip. The rain brings sadness, anger, pain, and taste of salt to lips. The clouds flash bright with lightning spears, but Alel is not here. The rain beats down upon our heads Godaver's presence nears. The sky is left to those on high. Here on the ground we wait for those above with divine power to choose our family's fates. We beg the lofty on their thrones with hearts and minds and all. Put forth your hand to stop this rain. Instead, he makes it fall. And then he sits back down. And if anyone wants to make an insight check, they can. Oh yeah, please. Joff rolled a 17. Pine rolled an 18. Nari rolled a 16. So you guys all rolled very well. Um, as you guys are listening to that poem, and it's talking about falling rain, you can't help but find hidden meaning in that poem. And as it talks about rain bringing sadness, anger, and pain, talks about the sky, uh, uh, the, the sky is left to those on high, but here on the ground we wait. And then, of course, put forth your hand to stop this rain. Instead, he makes it fall. Um, those lines, they stick out to you. You don't think this is about rain at all. You think this is about the bombing of Arkelvy. Right. I'm interested in what Nari thinks. You guys all kind of pick up on it to one degree or another. I think, Nari, with your 16, you're like, oh, I could see it kind of meaning that, but you're not quite sure. Whereas, Pine, with your 18, you're like, this guy has a hidden meaning here. It made me sad. Are you, is Nari crying? Yeah, I, I, I think that Nari would would shed a tear or two, but the steam kind of elude or like hides that a bit. It was beautiful and very, very sad. Oh, it's it's just how I feel when it rains. Well, it hasn't rained like that for some time. Uh, he kind of uh, looks over at you, Joff, and he says, "I, I don't know what you mean." Uh, it's just how I feel about rain. And then he kind of drops his voice and he says, was I too overt in my, in my phrasing? I, I, maybe I need to rewrite it. I, I can't perform that for dignitaries and, and those in power, if they can figure it out, my true meaning as well. 
they'll have my head. Well, you can see Pine, you've talked to him a few times. This is the first time he seems uncomfortable. He's always kind of seemed a little bit haughty and kind of in control. And he seems like uh, uncomfortable at this point. Well, maybe if it rains that night, it might work, but you, you may be right. Here, I have, a, I have a different poem that you could use. It's, a, it's, an old, um, it's an old one from Collinium. It goes like this. It's, a great, it's great for the March of Gadaver. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <clears throat> it's close to midnight, and something evil's lurking in the dark. <laughs> what? <laughs> Under ah. the moonlight, you see a sight that almost stops your heart. You try to scream. But terror takes a sound before you make it. You start to freeze as horror looks you right between the eyes. You're paralyzed because oh this is gosh. a thriller night. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. When you first started, I thought, okay, here comes the monster mash. <laughs> I was working in the lab late one night. That's so great. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I should have done that one. Oh no, it's all no, Take that was two. perfect. No, no, the thriller was perfect. Thriller was perfect. It was so much better than Monster Match. Oh, that's great. So Jaffel Jaffel lean over to this gentleman. He hasn't been introduced yet, so he doesn't have his name, but he says, says, Are you planning a performance in front of the nobles? Uh, I am I'm to perform at the um at the festivals in uh, Eberly Manor. Yes, I'm to perform for the governor himself. Womp, womp, womp. Congratulations. <laughs> On the night of Gadiver's festivity. Yes, yes, yes. Now, hopefully I'll be able to perform some of my poetry, but like I said, most of it's going to be music. It's You guys have been to like different festivals of Gadiver um, before, different marches of Gal- uh, Gadiver's March celebrations. And, and it's a lot of talking amongst yourselves, a lot of dancing and a lot of drinking. Um, not so much. Let's all sit around and snap at some poetry. Now, if one wanted to attend this event merely to, to watch a poet such as yourself, how would I get into Everly Manor that night? Oh, you need an invitation. How would one obtain such an invitation? I, oh, I received an invitation as I was performing, somebody had heard of, I'd heard my poetry and had heard me sing a few songs and, uh, and that's how I got hired. But I think that, uh, imperial dignitaries and other important people are invited. Um, the rich, the wealthy, um, yeah. Um, and he kind of looks at you and he says, I, I mean, it, actually he can't tell you're not dressed, but he was going to say something about the way you're dressed, but you're not dressed. You're naked. I am naked. <laughs> Do you need a band? <laughs> oh Nari God. plays the mean cymbals. Oh my gosh. I was looking through my features and traits to see if I have any instruments anywhere in on here anywhere. And nope, but I can play cards. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We could we could come in as dealers. <laughs> Do you need a ham bone? <laughs> it's extra slappy because I'm all wet. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I was hired to perform with some other other musicians. So um, I am to begin practicing with them tonight. Um, I am not sure who the other performers are. Usually I do a one-man show, but um, for a venue as large as the Grand Ballroom in Eberly Manor, um, one voice and one 
harp is not enough. Hmm. Well, we definitely heard that's the party to be at. Indeed. If mm. you can get a ticket, I mean, it should be, it should be a night to remember. Hmm. Do you have any contacts who maybe could get us in? We would love to hear, hear your music and poetry. Um, make a persuasion check. I'm not very good at that, but I rolled a 15. Let me, hmm, let me think on that. Um, there, there may be something I can do. Um, I think I'm allowed to bring in, um, possibly a servant to help, uh, with, you know, carrying my gear in my bags, but, um, that would only be one of you. And then of course you'd be my servant. So you wouldn't even be allowed to the party anyway. If traveling dignitaries are allowed in, I'm sure that I might be able to gain entrance. You just have to go and find who to talk to. Our friend here is a dignitary. Apparently. <laughs> yeah, he kind of looks you up and down um, appraisingly, um, Joff, and says, yes, I can see. He seems very dignified. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever been described as dignified while naked before, but typically while clothed, it's because you trimmed the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, man. I must we say. We call that manscaping. <laughs> I must say, my mustache and the clothes that I wear are from Barrister. Perhaps the style here just hasn't caught up. Mm. He kind of says, mm-hmm, yes, Barrister is, um, um, yes, a, a fashion all its own. Ooh, burn. Damn. A little, bit. a little bit. You do feel that a little bit that um, maybe barrister fashion is not the high society fashion that maybe you thought it was. <laughs> Jeff is going to lean into it hard, though. And he says, well, perhaps your taste isn't as high as, as you might assume. And he looks at you and he says, mm, my taste seems pretty good. I'm with Pender. <laughs> 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 this guy's probably late twenties, early thirties. Okay. Was he? He was checking me out, right? Oh yeah, hundred okay. percent. Just anybody just who didn't check pick up, anyone who didn't pick up on that, Pender is flirting with Joff. Okay, Joff will. Um, I don't know what he's gonna do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so while right. while Joff is blushing and trying to figure out what to say next, um, Pine will say. So this is your favorite spot in the baths. He kind of uh, tips his head back towards that door. If you recall, when you came into the bath, there's some, there are some doors on the kind of the eastern wall that go to the private baths, and there's one door at the far end um, that's kind of down a little five foot hallway that Pine you had tried to listen at before, um, and uh, Pender just kind of motions with his head to that door, that door that's down the little five foot hallway, and he says, "I find that this is the most interesting spot in the bath." Yes. Hmm. Any anything new since last time we spoke? Uh, that, that was yesterday, right? That you guys were you were here. Yep. Okay. Um, he says, uh, "Well, uh, there was a woman who came earlier today. Hmm. She's in there now, I do believe." Does she happen to have the lower half of a snake? But no. Oh, no, 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 no legs, legs, boots. Is a woman in the bathhouse unusual? 
A clothed woman in the bathhouse is unusual, yes. As Nari's just well, standing there again, water to her calves. She's like, are yeah. women in the bathhouse weird? <laughs> no, there's other women in here. There's other women in here. No, a clothed woman, yes, that is, that is, that is much more rare. Well, it's getting a little warm in here. I think I'm going to sit out for a second. And Pine will go sit the exact same place he sat before, just naked ass <laughs> on the bench, listening at the door. <laughs> Leg trying spread. to hear again. Yes, leg spread. Old well, man, leg spread. Well, he's kind of like leaning forward with like his elbows up on his knees. Like, whew. yeah, Sabrina, you know a surprising uh, amount about uh, old men in the locker room that I, <laughs> I don't know how you know this, but you are spot on. Because as a woman, you're like really trained to not take up space. And the way men take up space is incredible. Yeah, it's it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> if it's wild in real life, it's the wild west in the locker room when somebody's over sixty. Because like exactly. they'll be sitting there, they'll they'll be sitting there, leg up on the wall, like drying themselves with the hand dryer, completely naked. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah, it's wild. Hey, you don't it want them to get swampy down there, man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man. Yeah. So can I listen at the door, Paul? You sure can listen at the door. Why don't you make a perception check? Uh, I I rolled a fourteen. You're the 14. All right. You are sitting there. I think last time you're the one. You can hear that there is some kind of a of talk going on at the door. And literally, you're listening for about five seconds. And as you're listening, suddenly the door, you hear the door click open. Um, and a woman steps out. This woman is, um, she's got like tattoos on one side of her face. She's got pointed ears, um, brown hair. She has kind of this uh, exotic look to her. I don't know how else to describe her. She's not from around here. Um, she doesn't dress like other Almerians uh, would dress. And um, she uh, she steps out of the room. She notices you, Pine. She kind of steps back um, just because there's a naked old man uh, spreading his um, yeah legs on the bench. He'll, he'll, he'll say, howdy. <laughs> and she'll kind of nod her head to you. And then uh, quickly... Uh, make her exit out of the bathhouse. And she closed the door behind her. Okay. If you want to make a quick perception check, well, you made a, what did you make, a 15? A uh, 14. A 14? Yeah, 14. Um. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um. As the door was, uh, was open, you kind of glanced in. You could see that there were other people in there. You couldn't tell who they were, but you saw like the back of two people um, at, a, at a table back there. Um, it looked like they were talking about something. But then the door shut. It's very interesting that there's something going on back back there, but I don't feel like there's a story hook for it yet. Like, there's no reason for Pine to like push his way in there. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the world of Pavantis is going on around you, whether you are aware of it or not. True. Ooh, deep. I love it. I mean, do you need a reason though? <laughs> That's kind of like I'm the real world. I'm glad that you guys are not murder hobos who are like, "What? Something secret? I kick in the door." <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm gonna run in naked. Yes, exactly. All right, very good. So you guys are, you know, you guys finished up, uh, finishing up at the baths. Um, Ebby, what have you been doing? Um, I think Ebby is kind of running through the scenario in his head. He's kind of trying to prepare some spells. Okay. Um, one thing that he is going to want to look into is um, how he can augment the power of his spells in anticipation of what may lie ahead. Uh, he's he's trying to see if maybe or think through if there's any any like potions or anything he might be able to purchase that might increase the potency of some of his of his magic. OK, so specifically, 
I'm hoping that I can, if there is anything at all out there that might increase his wisdom on a temporary basis. Right. Like a, a potion of, uh, what is it? Owl's wisdom. Is that what it's called or something like that? Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Uh, so are you going to go out looking for that? Or are you going to just kind of be pondering it and kind of making notes and that type of thing? He's kind of pondering it right now. I don't think he's willing to, to go off on his own without the rest of the group. Um, but depending on how long they are gone, he may decide to try and just go out and check. Okay. Are you guys wrapping up at the, at the baths? You're going to head back to the cross candles in to go pick up Ebby. I'm sure Joff wants to do some more flirting, but <laughs> before, before pine leaves, he would want to say to Pender like, uh, well, I'd love to hear your performance in case we can't get into the, uh, into the party. Where are you practicing tonight? Oh, we have a, oh gosh, now you're putting me on the spot. Um, uh, there's a small inn on the east side of town that they're meeting at, and they're, he and the other members of the group are going to be just kind of running through some songs together, um, and anybody who's there can can listen to what they're what they're working on. Basically, it's like a um, it's just like a, a small little show just to kind of work out the kinks. Yeah. Did you Did you hear that, Joff? I I did. Uh, <laughs> thank Thank you, Mister Pine. Nari will nudge kind of Pine and be like, Pine, let's uh. Let's head back and, uh, you know, get out of the way here. Give, uh, you know, give everyone their space. <laughs> Look at I'm all wrinkly. <laughs> at first, I thought you were going to say you nudged Ru- or you nudged Joff. And I thought, of course, you're going to nudge naked Joff right into the naked guy flirting with him. <laughs> yeah. No, I was more like, oh, fine. We should we should clean up and um, uh, dry off and, and get out of here. Uh, kind of leaving leaving Joff to, to do whatever he needs to get done. Perfect. Pine, yeah, Pine will Pine will look for something sandalwood scented to put on his body as he's leaving. <laughs> I don't know what that means, dude. Sandalwood smells so good. Yeah, I've it never does. been to it like a spa. Okay. Yeah, you find something sandalwood scented to rub all over your body, and then you realize you're not supposed to be doing that, but you do it anyway because you're an old man. And I find just like, a, like a sandalwood scented incense, and I'm just like rubbing it in my armpits. <laughs> you're yeah, you're like waving it over your face. Yeah, just right exactly. between your thighs, just really making sure you're not getting any of that small pass. <laughs> oh gosh! All right, so you have to you have to avoid the chub rub. Oh gosh! <laughs> All right, so Evie and Nari, you guys are leaving. Uh, uh, Joff, are you staying there? You gonna flirt a little bit more with Pender? Uh, I'll probably actually excuse myself uh, as okay. they're leaving and say, "Well, it sounds like my friends are going. Um, perhaps I'll see you on the eve of of Gadaver's festivities." Yeah. Uh, well, I if you can get in, I I I wouldn't mind talking with you more. Well, I'm sure I'll find my way in. Okay, all right. And he gives you a little wink, and then off you guys are. Okay, so you guys finish up at Bander's Baths and clean up. And where are you guys off to now? Ebby is still at the inn, waiting for you guys. I say we pick up Ebby and then go costume shopping. Let's do costume shopping. I think we should look into. Um, someone that is a specialist in poisons mm. and see if we can't find something that might be useful for us. I wouldn't know where to look for someone who's a specialist in poisons. Would you? I'm sure I can find my way around something. I feel like Nari would probably know someone, at least who was some sort of apothecary who could help us out. We could just yeah. get... No, uh, Nari, if you could just get Jory to cook fish for everybody at the party... Honestly, not a bad idea. <laughs> I'm still recovering from that fish. 
Awesome. All right. Well, you guys are back at the Cross Candles Inn and you gather up Ebby. Um, there's lots of different options. Did you guys want to go for like high-end costumes? Or did you guys want to go for more of a lower end or middle of the road? High end. All yeah. the high high end. end. All yeah. the way. All right. Um, so you guys ask around a little bit there on the kind of the western part of town, the northwest part of town, um, where the, the nicer shops are. Um, in fact, at one point, as you guys are walking around there, you do go past the high side, which is the the restaurant, the very, very fancy, um, you know, you need a reservation to eat there restaurant where uh, Nilla used to work as a member of the Rose Syndicate. Um, but you, you ask around and... Um, the name that keeps popping up from people there in town is uh, uh, the Beaded Bodice. Go to the Beaded Bodice. They they know what they're doing. And eventually you guys find your way to this this storefront with this sign that says the Beaded Bodice. It has like a corset um, and it looks like the corset is kind of it's like the outline of a corset but it's all made of like circles, you know? Um, and that is the sign. Let's go in. All right, you guys all go into the beaded bodice. Uh, in the windows out front, you can see there are some very fancy, very elaborate dresses, as well as like one kind of suit in the Almerian style. But it is like, we're talking, you know, the, uh, the is it called a cravat? Like what Austin Powers wore? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like got that on it, you know, um, you know, vest. And um, some of the, like the clothing looks kind of like, a, you know, Balthier from Final Fantasy XII? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's got like the kind of little bit puffy white sleeves and he's got that awesome vest. Um, and he just, yeah, he just looks like a stud in my opinion. Um, yeah, you see like that's kind of the style of a lot of this clothing. Um, sort of white shirts, uh, cravat in the front and then um, like a vest or a doublet. And then for women, it's these elegant gowns with lots of beading and um, and gems woven into um, into like the bodices and the corsets, that kind of thing. So the men look like a Dracula. The men, the men look like a Dracula or Austin Powers with a vest. <laughs> I'll take the Austin Powers with a vest, please. <laughs> All right. As you walk in, you see that the proprietor is um, a very small man, probably three and a half feet tall. He's got a big bulbous nose. Um, his hair is done up in a, uh, it's not like a outlandish do, but it's definitely like gelled in place. Um, look like with a big kind of wave in the front. Um, he's got kind of big ears, um, clean shaven. And he comes uh, wandering over and he says, oh, welcome to the beaded bodice. How may I help you today? We need to beat our bods. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking for costumes for the festival. I would like oh. to look like a dead eagle. Like a dead eagle? Yes. Oh, so, okay, you've come to the right place. We have been working on costumes for the March of Gadaver for the last, oh, oh, two months, but I'm sure that we can find something in your size as he looks up at Nari. Ah, um... We, let's see what we have. I have no issue with men's clothing either. I'm sure, I'm sure, yes, we can find something, something in a male cut that will fit you to some degree. Um, let's see what we have. And then he starts pulling out different costumes and different, uh, different ideas. So kind of what does everyone have in mind as far as, uh, as far as what they want to wear? A badass skeletal eagle. <laughs> badass skeletal eagle um he starts uh looking through things and like what colors are you thinking you in fact you just described to me what you want and for the right price he will make it happen 
Okay, so I want actually a um, I want the mask to basically look like like a like an eagle's skull, but in golds and like um, blues, like dark blues. Um, and then as far as the clothing, um, not like a bunch of feathers all over it, but to have like um, a, like a, a well tailored jacket, kind of like what you described, like the Dracula clothes. Um, but have like a feather motif on there with so like be dark blue, but with like the gold, like gold threading doing like a like a, a feather motif um, at the ends of the sleeves and down at the back on the tails of the coat. Awesome. He can make that happen. Um, the mask will be um, leather. Um, how much of your face do you want it to cover? So like, I'll, I'll be like like a Batman mask. I'll have my mouth open, my mouth uh, exposed. Like a cowl. Yeah. Now, just a heads up, um, these are costume clothes, but they are fine costume clothes. So they are going to run you 15 gold pieces a piece. It's okay. I'm loaded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he takes he takes some measurements and he says, oh, I'm sure we can make this work. Um, I have a leather worker who I'm sure can get that mask taken care of. It'll actually probably be ready uh, tomorrow. Perfect. And so then, yeah. Yep. So we've got pine. Um, let's see. Jeff, what are you thinking? Are you still thinking Barastian style after that run in with Pender? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Jeff okay. is committed. Like, he, <laughs> he either doesn't see that it looks bad or he genuinely likes that style. So what um, is the Barastian style? Have you thought of what the Barastian style is? Here's, here's the deal. I, as a dungeon master, oftentimes, if somebody wants to be from a certain place or have connections to a certain place, sometimes I'll just say, okay, tell me about that place. So uh, why don't you think about it for a little bit, what the Barastian style might look like, and we'll move on to Nari. Nari, do you have any idea what you want your clothes to look like? Uh, yeah, I think Nari honestly would kind of want to look more like ghastly and ghouly, um, primarily because she's going to be the getaway. So I would like a bed sheet with holes cut in it. <laughs> well, yes, actually, exactly that. I would like a very like upscale but plain black outfit, sort of flowy, um, almost ghost like, and then with a mask that covers my entire face um, that's almost like grotesque. Oh, gotcha. Like almost like a like zombie-ish looking. Yeah, like spooky, ghouly, ghastly, like my body's kind of floating or like my head is kind of floating on on air with like a black backdrop. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So you have like a, a black cape. It's now these are fine clothes. Did you want to go fine clothes or did you want to go just more costume clothes? More costume clothes, honestly, I okay. would like to actually secretly be able to hide my armor underneath if that's possible. You know what? That should be possible. You you want like flowing and you're, you've got mithril, which is light anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, you so part of the costume would be like a big black cape that hangs down off your shoulders that has a brooch in the front that kind of I mean, it, it attaches uh, around you so you can kind of pull it around you and cover your whole body. Um, and then like the mask itself, uh, let's say that it's kind of like, you know, the hoodies that have like the little mask that comes down over your eyes. It's kind of like that. It's got a hood uh, that kind of comes down over, over your face. So it's, it's all part of the same cape and hood um, and then black clothing underneath. I love Does that it. Sound cool? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Yeah. So that's only going to cost you uh, five gold pieces. Perfect. She'll hand that over. Perfect. Um, and that should be ready tomorrow as well. And then, Joff, did you figure out Barastian? Yeah. 
because uh, as far as I recall, Ebby, you're going um, full Monty, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> most definitely. Okay. Buck wild. <laughs> if you thought there wasn't enough nudity, this episode's for you. <laughs> all, all the nudity. <laughs> awesome. So the Barastian style is, um, I think all I described it as before was just like not stylish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um so typically it's like knee length leather boots with um like tight pants that are tucked into the boots um it's warmer in barrister so the shirts are um loose fitting with like open sleeves or if there is long sleeves they're like flowing but really breathable um and then in the i'm assuming the weather gets you know stormy and the winters and such and and they would have long flowing jackets that they would wear over um basically the same style um, okay so that's that's kind of what i envision when i when i describe this it sounds very piratey <laughs> a little bit but one quick question is big pockets part of the brastian style too or yes, is that yeah, just big big pockets yeah big pockets and so then okay so that's the brastian style and the, and the pockets are on the shirts rather than the pants Got it. Okay. And then now what did you want as far as a costume in the Barastian style? What was that kind of your idea? Because we've got we've got ghastly kind of ghostly Nari. We've got um, Eagle Bones Pine. And what do we have for Joff? Joff is thinking something more monstrous. He'd like um, he'd like a cape. So he'll describe I would like him to have like a long flowing cape that's like midnight black behind him mm-hmm. um, with that hooks together with some sort of like claws of a monster and then some skull of like a monstrous creature covering most of his face that you'd be able to just kind of see similar to Mr. Pine where you just kind of see everything from the nose down basically. Um, And then I would like it. So to clarify is the style to have it like look more dead or be like brightly colored. It just kind of depends. You'll find that like uh, uh, a lot of people who are wealthy, um, they have like, you know, gold thread and like somebody like they'll have like a um, people will come out with like a skull helmet type thing that kind of comes down uh, at like the top of a skull minus the jaw. But it's gold, right? It's like Mm -hmm. made out of gold. So it looks like a skull, but it's still flashy and shows off style and, and prestige. Okay. So I'd like, I'd like something similar to that with, it doesn't have to be real gemstones, but with some sort of reflective quality on the skull to draw attention. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, we could say there's like some, um, some stitching, um, cause the, 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 the mask will be made out of leather and then there's some stitching that can either be gold or silver or something that kind of outlines certain like sutures, suture lines in the skull, that kind of thing that helps give it some pop. Okay. Very Perfect. cool. Awesome. Yeah. 15 gold. All right. Thank you, sir. He says, oh, you're welcome. And thank you for, for coming to the Beaded Bodice. I hope that your festivities with the March of Gadaver are are joyous and and fun. And it's kind of funny to say that on a day that's supposed to be very spooky, but it is what it is. I'm going to get hammered. <laughs> <laughs> shoot for the oh. stars, Pine. Always shoot for the stars. <laughs> All right, so you guys are done uh, getting your costumes. They will all be ready tomorrow. So what's next on your guys' list of things to do? Joff needs to buy a couple of things. I need to replenish my my uh, ball bearings, and I'd actually like to buy a couple of sets of caltrips as well. 
Caltrops, whatever you know. Okay, sure thing. You can find those. Uh, what's your background, Jeff? Um, it is bounty hunter. Okay. Um, why don't you make? Because I guess because uh, the criminal has like access to that kind of stuff. I don't know what the bounty hunter has as, as far as their class right, features. Well, you, you do have as a as a technically a rogue, don't you have like thieves can't? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yes, I do have thieves can't. So, um, bounty hunters, ears to the ground. Yeah, I know I'm associated with people in the criminal underworld, oh, perfect, rough and tumble yeah. folks, streets, all that sort of stuff. Easy. Yeah. Not a problem. Not a problem. Well, given enough time, you can find all that stuff that, I mean, a lot of that stuff is not something that you can just buy at any store. I want to buy something that I can throw on the floor that hurts people's feet. Oh, sure thing. Come on in. You know, <laughs> here's a box of Legos. Oh gosh. Awesome. Yeah. So not a problem. And then also somebody wanted to find some poison possibly. I'm sure yes. that's, that's probably the same thing that, that uh, John will be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be similar. And so we can figure out like what that's going to cost you. But um, so you're looking for something that will make people ill, correct? Yeah. 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 And Nari also has that same or a similar background where she was, you know, a criminal um, in the city. So she should be able to have connections, I feel like, to someone who can whip up some bad fish. Okay. Well, I mean, so I'm looking here in the player's handbook. I mean, a little behind the scenes. Look, we do play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. There's a player's handbook and there's items with costs. Um, It looks like a basic poison vial. We'll say that that's what you would need. Instead of using it on weapons to poison your weapon or your ammunition, we'll say you can use one vial of poison to to basically ruin a whole dish. So like um, if there's like a five course meal, one of those courses, you can poison the whole thing. Sound good? Perfect. Sounds good. It will cost you 100 gold pieces. I'll buy two doses. Okay. Also, since if you're if you're going to to shop, um, Pine would have sent you with um, uh, Apple Bottoms spell book to sell. I found it in the bottom of my bag. None of us can make any use of it. So see if you can find some money for it. Okay. Well, of course, I'll, I'll sell that as I'm going about. So that's going to be a harder sell, just because the different spells are going to cost more and more money. I mean, we'll figure that one out um, kind of outside of game because basically the way that I, the way that I'll do it is basically each level spell is going to count as a scroll. And so however many different spells and then add them all together, that's what the price is going to be. Um, and with your connections to the under underworld, um, we'll say you can get it sold. And I'll just kind of clue you in later how much you're going to get for that book. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Perfect. All right. Um, we'll say that the day is kind of winding down after all this shopping. Um, so at this point, you are one full day. Um, well, you have the night tonight. You have one full day. And then you have um, basically the morning of the next day uh, before um, festivities begin. Is there anything else you guys wanted to do tonight? Yeah. I, so while they were doing the the underworld shopping, Pine, and if mm-hmm. anybody wants to come along too, would would try to head back into the library um, to see if he can't find any maps of the, of the Eberly Manor or the catacombs themselves. So he'd be doing that kind of research. Okay. Um, just to kind of speed things along, why don't you make a, an investigation check? Pine rolled a 16. That was a solid. Six- yeah. Plus zero. Okay. So it was a 16. 
<laughs> 16. Oh, fantastic. Um, let's see. So um, you managed to find, um, basically, it is a, um, a book that deals with maps of the city um, that was written about 60, 70 years ago. Um, it's a collection of maps that were um, created, um, so hand-drawn uh, by a local rat catcher. Um, and he wrote these to help himself from getting lost as he was, you know, fighting vermin down in, uh, in the uh, cellars and in the catacombs under the city. Uh, it looks like um, it looks, uh, there's definitely missing spaces. You see that there are things that, um, you know, places in the maps where he says, don't go this way, or I never went here. Um, but um, as you're kind of looking through the, uh, through the book, there's one thing that kind of stands out to you and it says, um, you can't rescue the children. And that's all it says. And it's like, oh, out of nowhere, uh, it just says you can't rescue the children. And then, uh, then it moves on. I think I found a haunted book. You, <laughs> I hate that. Uh, you see that there's definitely some maps. So yeah, I mean, this will definitely help you find your way um, through the catacombs. Is this in the is this in the secret library or the nope. normal library? No, nope, okay. this is not. This is yeah. in uh, this is in the regular library. I'll pay for copies. Oh yeah, because you can't check these out. Yep. You're gonna have to. If you want, you can take some time um, and you can copy some of these maps uh, that you feel would be important. I think we mentioned in a previous episode, I was teasing Paul about the printing press and he said that they magically reproduce books here. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you know what? Um, yeah, let's say that uh, if you want to spend five silver per map um, and you figure that in there, there's probably five or six maps that you're going to want. So if you just pay three gold, um, you can get copies of those maps, but you don't get the actual book. Sounds good. You actually, as you're looking through the maps um, that you got, you see kind of where you were at. It looks a little different than when you experienced it, but going through and coming out in Everly Park, you managed to find that map. And that's how you kind of figure which maps you also want to want to get um, to help you kind of narrow down the potential of getting into Everly Manor through the catacombs. All right. I've added that into my other possessions. Perfect. Perfect. And then I can, of course, show you those maps. Very good. All right, so that is, is that the end of this day? Unless anybody wants to go watch a uh, hot poet perform. No, I'm too tired for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only other thing would be, Ebby was curious about like any potions that might be able to augment his spell casting abilities. Oh, sure. Um, was there any like shops or merchants that seem to be selling potions? Well, so, um, yeah, I mean, if you go back to the grand market, um, you should be able to find somebody selling something like that. In fact, um, I mean, you know that, um, uh, what's his name? Gerard, uh, sells some potions, but he's more of like a, uh, um, a seller of all kinds of random things. Um, and a specific potion merchant, you can find, um, somebody who's selling potions. In fact, as you find a guy who's like at this, um, he's got a little stall and he's got a little shelf behind him with all these different beakers and like Erlenmeyer flasks. He's got a Bunsen burner out in front of him that's actually on fire right now as he's mixing something as people are walking by. You know, he's like, hey, come check out these potions as he's literally making potions right there. He's got like those spectacles that have like a big, um, like one eye is like a, like a funnel down to one lens, you know, so he can like look in really close and... Um, He's a he's an older gentleman, uh, human, probably about you know five and a half feet tall. Uh, his hair is gray, and he looks um, 
like he knows what he's doing. Um, you see that he's got potions behind him. And as you ask, basically about, um, you're looking for a potion that does the enhance ability spell, correct? Uh, yeah. I, essentially, what I'm looking for is anything that'll help give a temporary boost to wisdom and, or wisdom modifier for Evie. Yeah. Um, so as far as the potion you're looking for, it looks like enhance ability, which would give you uh, in, specifically Owl's Wisdom. Um, and basically what happens is when you drink it, um, you get, um, you have advantage on wisdom checks. Is that what you're looking for? Mm, not quite. Like actually, actually boosting or increasing straight up the wisdom modifier. Okay. What I'm hoping to do, and there might not be a way to do it, but I'm hoping to actually increase my spell save DC, making my spells harder to to save against. Got it. Anybody with experience with 5th edition know of a way to do that? I There there are magic items that will increase the, the base stat, like, for instance, gauntlets of, or, yeah, gauntlets of giant strength or whatever they're called. Um, I don't know what the, what the wisdom, if there is a wisdom item, it would exist, but I imagine it would be extremely expensive. Yeah, that might be the case. And if there's not like a potion or scroll or anything like that, that would give a temporary boost. Then even if there is, it might be more expensive than we have resources to use, but Abby wanted to look into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll say you can find a potion of... Uh, that uh, enhance ability, Owl's Wisdom, uh, and it'll cost you 120 gold. It lasts for, I think, an hour. Got it. Okay. If that's what you want to do. If not, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to do it besides going and actually, yes, finding like a, an, an artifact or something. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. I think we can we can roll forward without it then. Okay. All right, perfect. I think that Pine, even if Joff is not going to go see Pender, I think that Pine would go see. Again, I think having a connection inside at the, the night of the party is going to be valuable. So just going and basically, again, trying to befriend, be recognized by um, Pender and his band might help us get in if, if things start to get tough to get in. Yeah, I think Nari would also want to go and kind of just, you know, in case nothing else works, at least we have one person who can sneak in with, with him. Okay. Perfect. All right. Yeah, you guys go to this inn across town. Um, the name of the inn is the uh, <laughs> the Blue Emu. No, I've used that one before. Um, Brandy's. Brandy's, yes. Are you uh, bringing that back from the middle well, of the campaign? Okay. Previous, previous campaign, we had an inn called the Blue Emu. Um, which, for those of you who don't know, is like an ointment you can rub on your achy joints. Um, anyway, um, and then <laughs> they changed the name to Brandy's because Brandy's is a fine girl. What a good wife she will be. Anyway, <laughs> it was a tavern on a coast in a coastal town, so we just thought we'd name it Brandy's. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was. It was perfect. It was perfect. Um, yeah. So you go to this um, to this inn, um, just a small little uh, little tavern actually, and there's a small stage in there. A, a few people are drinking, but really this is just kind of uh, nobody's really paying attention. As you walk in, you see that there is Pender. He's standing up there. There is a a very large, like um, broad woman, um, heavy set, and she is she's got like a, a drum, and then like she's got a tambourine on her hip. 
and then you see that um, there is like a uh, a slender um, man with uh, pointed ears, long hair. He's dressed with like furs and things, um, but he's got a some kind of a, a, a strange lute, like a guitar-looking uh, instrument, um, and they are currently not playing. They are talking back and forth and trying to figure some things out, and then eventually they turn to the audience and um, and Pender stands up and he says, uh, "You'll have to excuse us," you know, and he's like he's like projecting to the crowd that's really not there, and he says. Um, it seems that one of our members decided not to show today, but the show must go on. And then they start playing a few songs, um, kind of working out some of the kinks. Um, and uh, Pender is playing a harp. You have a lute and you have a drum. And it's fairly good. I mean, they actually, they actually you can tell that each of them are, are very good musicians in their own right. And they're just trying to work out the kinks of working together. Uh, it looks like it's supposed to be a four-piece band, but at this point it's only three. And then, yeah, that's that's really the the performance. I don't have another song for you because I'm saving it. I'm saving I'm saving it for another day. I like to think that Pender remembered the the Menorie's poem that that Pine shared earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear him trying to do it, but he can't quite remember exactly how the words go. Um, yes. Anyway, all right. And then uh, they they play for an hour or so, and then they kind of wrap it up. Oh, that was a great. Great performance. I can't wait to see it um, tomorrow. She said you were missing a member. What instrument's missing? Uh, there is a, uh, well, I'm not really supposed to be playing the harp. I'm just supposed to be um, singing and um, uh, that tambourine, and he points over to the, to the large lady, says, I'm supposed to be using the tambourine and we have another harpist, but um, he decided not to show. Well, if you need a tambourine, you know, I could... Step in, or, or 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 she could. Yes, I, I guess you could, but he should be here. He knows that we have a performance. He should he should be able to show. But um, yes, I, I appreciate you showing up. And then he kind of looks around and he's like, um, so just the two of you came, huh? Joff was embarrassed. He couldn't decide what to wear. Yeah, <laughs> he was he was really stressed out and kind of pitting out. So he just decided to stay back. <laughs> He kind of he he nods. Uh, he he kind of knows that you guys are just kind of like trying to ease him ease his feelings a little bit. But um, he says, "Well, I, I appreciate you coming, and and uh, you know, um, hopefully, uh, I think that this will work out well. I think that this will work out really well. We should be ready in a couple nights." All right, and then the night is over. All right, you guys all meet back up at the Crossed Candles Inn. Um, it is now roughly like nine or ten o'clock at night. Um, you guys did have a late night last night, so you guys are getting kind of tired. Um, but if anybody wanted to do any reading or anything before bed, I know you guys had some books that you were in the middle of reading. Uh, we can do that. Um, before, and then, of course, Ebby, you can read all night long if you want to. Oh, yeah. All night long. <laughs> all night. All night. Just please don't <laughs> stare at me. <laughs> Frankly, I don't know what the big deal is. It's not like you're awake to really have any kind of uh, objection to it. No, I, just, I, I think the problem was he was awake. Maybe yes. you gotta have a conversation about consent, my dude. Oh man, <laughs> when my eyes are open, I am awake. Well, but I mean, but are you? Yeah. Are any of us awake? Mm. Oh gosh. 
All right. <laughs> Who wants to read a book tonight? We've got um, we've got the Royal Line of Bayard books still that um, yep. I know that Joff was reading. We've got the um, the Cult of Inevitability that still has two parts left that Pine was reading. We have um, a book written in allele, and we also have the Crystal Codex that Evie was reading. And then Nari, if you want to continue to learn allele, we can do some intelligence checks for that as well. Honestly, I think I think Nari would actually spend a couple hours just trying to poke away at it. Although Ebby's already got it kind of under wraps, I think it would be important to figure out. <laughs> yeah, redundancy, right? Yeah. Perfect. Well, why don't you go make an intelligence check and let's see kind of how well you do tonight. All right, 12. All right. Um, yeah, you feel like you're starting to make a little bit of progress. You're starting to um, kind of figure out that there are certain words that are going to be important in allele that you kind of pick up on that you're able to now pick out in actual writing. Um, things like, um, um, I don't know what the word is, um, articles um, like the or um, numbers like uh, one, two, three, um, that kind of thing. And so you feel like you are making uh, making some progress, which is very, very good. Crushing it. You are crushing it. All right. Um, let's see. Who wants to read next? So so would so what would what percentage then would Nari be skilled in the language at this point? Two percent. Oh. <laughs> crushing it. <laughs> I mean, this is literally the second night that she's looked, and the first time I think she rolled like an eight or something like that. So she is just, you know, barely scratching the surface. I was gonna say something about watching a teleno- telenovela. And she can tell when people are angry at each other, but she doesn't know why they're angry. It's Rosetta Stone, and I'm just kind of repeating back and forth. Maria, ¿qué es que estás haciendo aquí? <laughs> exactly. I was thinking of the uh, rest of development when they're like, hermano. And they're like, they think the guy's name is hermano. Oh, no, my favorite was he's like, he's like, Hey, I'm lucky to have you, mon frere. I don't even know. That's French for my brother. I don't even know why I know that. I took two years of Spanish. <laughs> oh, All right. So who wants to read next? Pine would love to read the um, the Cult of Inevitability book, the second part of it. The second part. The second part, I do believe, deals more with the growing cult today. Now, this book was written just a couple of years ago, so it's still fairly recent. Um, but it looks like uh, the second part of the book talks about um, how there has been a resurgence of the idea of inevitability over the past 50 years. Uh, prior to that, there were some small cells and groups uh, of inevitability cults present in the Republic of Racolia, which is the current province of Almar. Um, it began sometime around the year 790 or year three by the new imperial reckoning, small cells of inevitability cults began to pop up in spite of an increase in followers of the cult. It still remained and continues to remain obscure and relatively secret. Few insiders will discuss the teachings, practices, and secrets of the cult, and those that do seem to be low in the hierarchy. Uh, there appears to be some form of central leadership, although no information about who it might be has been forthcoming. The current dogma of the cult revolves around the idea that something important that was supposed to happen has still not happened and that there is and that it is their responsibility to ensure that it does. Now, this is a departure from the beliefs of the early, early, ugh, 
this is a departure from the beliefs of the earlier cult of the ancient civilizations, where they believed that nothing could stop the inevitable. Uh, while aware of the growing reach of the cult of inevitability, the Almerian Empire and the Church of Irameel, the Angel of Unity, have made no overt moves against the inevitability believers with their own Angel of Inevitability. As of now, it would seem that this reiteration of the cult of inevitability is content to preach and worship in private and seems to make fewer waves than its ancient predecessor. Awesome. Thank you, Librarian Jim. <laughs> you can just tell she gives you a smile, a fake customer service smile uh, from across the city. No, she really likes me. She loves okay. those jokes. <laughs> like when it doesn't <laughs> ring up and I'm like, oh, I guess it's free. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, exactly. All right. So who is next? Are we going Ebby or are we going with uh, Joff? We'll go Joff. Yeah. Okay, so Joff, you start reading. So the, if you recall, uh, this has been a couple of weeks since we've done this. Um, when you read the Bayard Line uh, book before, you were reading about its past and kind of mysticism, the connection mm -hmm. to mysticism. Um, but right now you're looking um, for connection to uh, kind of your family, like your immediate family. Yeah. So there's a whole appendix featuring complex pedigree charts all the way to the end of Everlyn as a nation. The last king, King Frederick IV, had three children, all three girls. Frederick's father was Lauren II. He had a brother named Prince Lendon, who had multiple children, the oldest of which was Simon. Okay? Simon and Frederick were two years apart in age, with Simon being younger. They were closest children. In this book, Horton hypothesizes that Frederick became more and more focused and mature, likely because of the responsibility of leadership placed upon him at a relatively young age, becoming king at 22 years old. Simon, on the other hand, had no such responsibilities, instead focusing on parties, tourneys, and living a lavish bachelor lifestyle. Frederick and Simon lost their earlier friendship, but were still well acquainted and did appear fond of each other throughout the rest of their lives. There is one incident reported in the book of Simon's philandering getting him into trouble when rumors of a baby being born to a young serving girl he fancied came to light. Nothing of it is known of what happened to the baby, but the serving girl, after being put away for a short time, soon re-entered Simon's service. Simon's tale ends abruptly with just these final sentences. Simon, cousin to King Frederick IV, died off the coast of Calathan near Nynera when he was swept overboard during a sudden storm. But some unfounded rumors surfaced of foul play and a woman scorned. However, there is no evidence to support the latter. Um, so you finish the book tonight. And when all is done, um, just the last thing you read, there's a small section at the very end of the book, and it's called Afterward. It contains a few parting thoughts from Horton. In it, he laments the lost manuscripts, pedigrees, and charts that were once housed in the vaults beneath Mason's Keep. He hopes that there may be some way, someday, to explore the vaults himself, but he fears the information that the Bayards stored down there has either been destroyed or forgotten. He conjectures that there could possibly be a way to access the vaults through the warren of catacombs that crisscross the Undercity, but that way would be too dangerous for someone as, quote, soft as he. Uh -huh. And there you go. Ooh, <laughs> side quest, guys. Uh, okay. <laughs> do, do people think that your mom killed your dad? That's what it sounds like. Oh, yeah, she did. And he deserved it, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and it could have been a different lover scorned that killed him, but. Um... Absentee father. And it says no evidence. <laughs> no evidence to support the latter. It says he was swept overboard during a sudden storm. 
That's because women are better at, at hiding things and killing people. <laughs> Ooh. Here's an idea. Ooh. Totally unfounded conjecture. What if Aaliyah Bravo was one of his uh, lovers and she killed him? Oh. <laughs> Damn. Uh, no, that's not in my notes at all. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. Oh, man. All right. Um, and then we have Ebby. Ebby, you pull out the Crystal Codex. I need you to roll a D6 twice. D6 twice, eh? Mm-hmm. So I rolled a six and a four. Okay, let's see. As you're reading through this book, there's a one point where he mentions molting and flying. Um, it's just kind of just said in passing. Um, and as it mentions that, as you kind of are reading along, it says molting, like I was molting and, and something about flying through the air. You hear the voice in uh, your head of Neum. And it, it is, he says, there, there, don't be sad. The others, they can't fly and they're happy. And there's a pause. I know walking is not flying and it will be difficult knowing what we've lost. But if we're right, then this is the best way to ensure that we'll even be able around to walk. Another pause. Sleep now, my dear one. Wipe your tears and sleep. When you awake, this nightmare will be over. You may not fly again, my son, but you'll run, you'll laugh, and you'll live. That was number four. And number six. All right. As you're reading further on in the book, you you get this um, idea that uh, there's another book. He elaborates on a theory that he must have mentioned in a previous book. Um, but basically, he's figured out how to make power sources self-replicating. And as you get this thought, this uh, realization, Neam's voice again speaks to you as if talking to somebody else, a bandage, a bandage for a bleeding world. Thank Lord Moshe for guiding me to this discovery. And then the voice fades away. And as you finish reading those sections of the book, we're going to stop there for the night. Anyway, thank you everyone for playing. This was fun. I love shopping episodes, gathering some intel, getting some little side quests, trying to figure out how to do what you need to do. Um, it's it's great fun. One of my favorite parts about Dungeons and Dragons. Wait a second. I, I didn't get to put this in there before you closed so abruptly. So you talked about people flying. Yes. I have that decorative helmet. There was decorative armor the first time we went down into the place under Lord Morsha's shrine. And uh, it was bird shaped. Was it like bird shaped on the interior as well? Like would it accommodate like a bird face? Yes, like the helmet, the visor. I mean, if you talk to Ebby about this, the visor, like a helmet, you know how uh, lots of helmets, like they call it a clothes helmet, yeah. uh, where it has a visor that comes down. It stuck out very far out. And it almost, I mean, when you were looking at it, you looked, oh, this is decorated to look like a bird's head. But had the being underneath actually had a bird's head, it would have covered a beak. Ah, does that make sense? And in the world of Pavantis, there are no um, era. Kokra. What about Kenku? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So thank you for playing. Go out, leave us a review. Leave us uh, uh, some comments uh, about, about the podcast. Help other people find us. And other than that, we hope you guys just have a great time. Make sure to blow out the candle, Evie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not done looking at the book. <laughs> <laughs>